Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps you need to take to get there. Welcome to episode 34. I am your host, Darren Johnson. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think I know a little bit about you. You're interested in living your best life. You always want to be improving and just getting a little bit better every single day. If that describes you, you're in the right spot. I am so excited for this guest because you're going to learn so much from one of the greatest of all time. And I don't say that (laughs) ever, except for this one. Mark Allen is a six-time Ironman world champion. He also won the Nice International Triathlon 10 times. He went undefeated in 21 races for an astounding two-year winning streak from late 1988 through 1990. He's in the Ironman Hall of Fame, also USA Triathlon Hall of Fame. And in 2012, Mark was voted the greatest endurance athlete of all time by ESPN. You know, quick insight into Mark Allen, who he is. Uh, I had a chance to meet Mark in 2005. At that time, I was vice president of medical sales for a uh, Fortune 100 um, medical nutritional company and great pharmaceutical sales team, and Mark was our speaker. And I met him, and I said, uh, hey, Mark, I'm going to be going running in the morning. Uh, would you like to join me? And I didn't think he would, but <laughs> he said, yeah, I didn't bring, I didn't bring a, an extra T-shirt, but if you guys could provide me a T-shirt, I said, oh, yeah, we'll provide the T-shirt. So I had a chance to run with Mark Allen in Sedona, Arizona, at sunrise. What a highlight it was just to be able to run with him and just to try to keep up. But Mark Allen is here. And everyone, uh, as you listen to this podcast, as you listen to the ahas, you're going to get a lot of them, take a screenshot of it and and then tag at I Dare You Pod and Darren Johnson 1. And let me know your biggest takeaways from this episode. Take note about the, the power of the mind and how mindset plays such a role in our performance, not just if you're going to be running uh, the Ironman or running a triathlon, but in all areas of our life, it comes down to mindset. You know, one of the things I admire about Mark is how he continues to give back to others. Things like sitting down with us for this podcast so we can learn from him. But he's also doing a lot in the area of coaching and motivational speaking and giving back to this sport that gave so much to him. So let's not wait any longer. Episode 34 is ready to go. And here, everyone, is Mark Allen. Mark, welcome to the podcast. It is really good having you in the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. And uh, for all you listening, thanks for uh, tuning in. Well, it's good to see you again. Just yeah, where are you, where are you based? You know, I'm in Idaho Falls, Idaho. You ever ever been up here? I've been through there. Uh, an acquaintance who moved out to Whitefish, Montana oh. a little while ago. <laughs> he has family that's there or his wife's family lives there. Anyway, he went out, they moved and, you know, he's just like blown away with it because he grew up in Kansas or somewhere and he started posting some photos on his Facebook page and all the relatives like swarmed on him and said, <laughs> do not post any photos of, of whitefish. We don't want people moving here. <laughs> That's right. No. And whitefish is a gem. You're right. And not many people know about it because it's not easy to get to. Okay, Mark, in the introduction, I already mentioned the most successful triathlete of all time. You won the Ironman Triathlon World Championship six times, Nice International Triathlon 10 times. I can go on and on. Where did all of this start for you? At what point did triathlons become the thing when you said that? That is something I got to try. Well, the the moment of sort of going, I have to go try that was when in 1982, I was watching Wide World of Sports back when Wide World of Sports was like the only sports program on television. And 
you know, the entire nation would stop to see what Jim McKay had to say about some incredible sporting event. Well, yeah. this one February 1982, I turned on the television Saturday afternoon, and here was this thing that Jim McKay was talking about. It was the Ironman triathlon, something that I had never heard of. I didn't know what a triathlon was. I'd never heard of the Ironman. And, um, you know, he said the distances, you know, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, a marathon. <laughs> and so my my swimmer brain, I was a swimmer growing up. I swam 100, 200 backstroke, 200 IM. My swimmer brain is like, wow, I wonder how many days that's going to take these people. <laughs> and of course, you know, as the program goes on, I realize it's a one day event and they have 17 hours maximum to complete it. Starting at seven, last person has to finish by midnight to be called an Ironman. And I thought, there's no way that a human body can do that. Right. You know, nowadays it's like everybody knows somebody who's done an Ironman and, and maybe, you know, a lot of you listening have done something similar to that. But back then I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And, you know, I, I the most amazing part though, or the part that captivated me was that I was watching the people cross the finish line and they were kind of like ordinary looking people, but they were doing something truly extraordinary. And it just, it just sparked something in me, you know, and I, about two weeks later, I just felt this calling, like I had to go there and see if I could be one of those finishers of that amazing race. And so that was the initial inspiration that kind of got me involved. And I was just going to go there one time, see if I could complete it, see if I could cross that finish line and then move on with my life. I was 24 years old at the time. I um, didn't really have a career path. And so I figured, you know, February is, I saw this on TV, the race is going to be in October. That That's like the perfect stall tactic, you know, <laughs> train for an Ironman and, and you won't have to worry about what you're going to do with your life till after the race is over. Right, I get it. I get it. As we see, it uh, turned out differently than just a one-time deal. So what was that first Ironman like? What year were we here, Mark? 1982, is that right? Yeah, it was October 1982. There were there were about a thousand people in the race that year. It wasn't like nowadays where you have to qualify and it's very competitive to even get a slot to go in. Basically, you called up the Ironman office, gave them your name, ad address, and they sent you the application and you were in with a check, you know, of course. And um, so it was, it was very, um, you know, there were no coaches back then. There was no knowledge base of how to actually train for a triathlon and certainly no, no understanding by anybody really of how to get ready for an Ironman, this crazy oh thing. And so I kind of just did as much swimming, cycling and running as I could do that summer building up to it. I did a couple short races to kind of gain experience. You know, I did two Olympic distance races one half Ironman. And then next up was October was, was, uh, Ironman in Hawaii. Yeah. So that first, the first Ironman though, when, when did you know that you, you had uh, more than potential and, uh, was your mind right during that entire race? I've, I've got a lot of questions about mindset, but in that first race, 24 years old, invincible, I'm assuming you thought, but at what point did you think, man, I, I might have a shot here. Yeah, you know, at 24, you know that you can you can kind of get away with a lot of mistakes, um, and so I certainly didn't know if I was ready physically for the race or not. I definitely wasn't ready uh, mentally because, you know, a race that can take 17 hours, I didn't know. I had no idea how to sort of prepare that internal landscape to deal with something that that long. But uh, the the interesting thing is, you know, I as I mentioned briefly, I was a swimmer growing up. I 
swam competitively from the time I was 10 all the way through university, 12 years. But I was pretty mediocre as a swimmer. So, you know, not in a million years did I think that I had potential to be kind of like world class at any sport, you know. So anyway, I went into the Ironman that year and, you know, at 7 a.m., all of us lined up, all thousand of us, the cannon sounds and you head out for 2.4 miles of swimming. It's a mass start. Nowadays, they have wave starts with, you know, age groups and whatnot. This was all of us all at once. And it was um, chaotic. And I was getting poked and jabbed and held under the water. And I thought, I'm going to die in the opening moments of this stupid race. What am I? You know, I was like, what am I even doing here? Like, oh, yeah. you know, every negative thought. And I was terrified. And um, so I just started sprinting. I thought I got to I have to get away from this pack of crazy triathletes, you know. And so finally, when I got about about to the halfway point, the turnaround boat, I finally found kind of like an open spot in this whole line of swimmers. And I got on the feet of this guy that was kind of leading this pack that I was in. And uh, we made the turn and we headed back and part, part way back to the pier where you know the, the swim ended I kind of was like I wonder where the leaders are and you know I wasn't really in a big hurry so I kind of stopped and was treading water for a sec and the only guy I could see was this guy right in front of me and I thought man those top dudes are like <laughs> they're on fire they are so far ahead I can't even see them well when I came out of the water I was told that I was on the feet of the guy who was leading the race okay I was in second place coming out of the water and I'm like Oh my God, this is a good sport now, right? <laughs> and so um, I ran up next to the guy to see who it was. And it was Dave Scott, who in 1982 was the best Ironman triathlon uh, distance triathlete in the world. He, he'd won the race once and he was coming back hoping, hoping to win his second title that year. And um, so anyway, we headed out for the bike ride and I kind of stayed with him. And halfway through the bike ride, I'm still with Dave Scott the best guy in the world. And I have wow. no idea what the heck I'm doing out there. And we, we made the turn at this little town called Javi. And then you have this just roaring tailwind for about six or seven miles. And then finally the wind subsided and we kind of got back into a normal rhythm. And I thought, Hmm, I have never talked to Dave Scott before. Perfect time for an introduction. <laughs> so I pulled up next to him and I, and I kind of go, Hey Dave, uh, when we're done with the bike, you want to go for a run? You know, kind of a wise ass sometimes. Nice, nice. And, and he goes, uh, <laughs> who are you? You know, <laughs> uh, he was not happy. And so anyway, I told him, well, my name is Mark Allen. And he, he goes, oh, I think I've heard your name. And he clicked his bike into a big gear and he took off. So I figured, well, conversation with the champs over. So I clicked my bike into a big gear and I heard this just horrendous grinding, clanking sound. And I looked down and part of my derailleur had broken off. Oh, no. And so my my chain was stuck in the biggest gear, and I still had over 50 miles of cycling to go. My race was done at that point. I knew that I couldn't do it. And so, you know, it was, it was sort of like a, a foreshadowing of everything that was going to take place over the next five years or so. First of all, something unexpected happened. I didn't achieve that that goal that I had that day, which was to cross the finish line. I had to drop out, but I had been with the best guy in the world for you know several hours of racing, and so that was really the moment where I thought, "Wow, maybe if I take my time to develop my skills as a triathlete, maybe I can be the the winner of this race someday." I didn't know, but maybe someday. 
And, and shortly after that, uh, I was living in San Diego at the time. I was invited to be on a on a triathlon team being sponsored by an investment company in La Jolla. And they were going to pay a number of us a salary so that we didn't have to work. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, money. sign me up. And so that was really the beginning. And then right after that, Nike picked me up and a number of other companies. And and uh, that really that really launched the career. That was sort of like that was sort of like the prologue, you know, and then and then the main meet started that next year with all the racing that I was doing. Wow. So 1983, then you, you go back and you finish, you finish third. 1984, you finish fifth. Then in 1986 and 87, second place. In 1988, fifth place. And then in your, in your seventh Ironman, you won it. Do, do, I have the, do I have it right? Yep. So look, I have to tell you, why, why did you not quit? Maybe a better question is, what was driving you through this? Because that alone is pretty incredible how you just kept going. Why, why did you keep at it? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, in about three and a half seconds, you covered five years of, of, of racing. And, and that's something that I don't know a lot of people grasp. Like, you know, my, my focus really became to try to see if I could win that amazing race. And each year that I came back, um, you know, I could be in the, in the lead at the end of the bike. I could be in the lead partway through the marathon. I could be in the lead even with just a few miles to go, but I kept falling apart and Dave Scott kept passing me. And so each year, you know, I've dedicated basically my entire season and focus to peaking for this one incredible event, because I felt like I had what it took to be, to be able to, to win it. Uh, but I wasn't showing it, you know, I, it's like close, but no cigar, right? You know, you, the, the winner is not the one who leads the longest. It's the one who crosses the finish line first, you know? And so um, it, it got more, it got harder and harder to pick up the pieces and come back and to actually have a reason or a purpose to go through all of that training again. And, you know, my, by, by year six in my, after finishing my sixth Ironman in 1988, finishing fifth, um, you know, my family and friends, they're like, you're nuts to go back there. You know, there's something yeah. about that race is not for you. Go to Nice, France, where you've shown you can beat Dave Scott. You, you've shown you can win many times over. Go to the other places where, you know, the courses are more suited for whatever your, your natural physical talents are. And, you know, we all have those people that we re rely on to tell us those things about ourselves that we're just unwilling to see ourselves. And I was really, really close after 1988, six years of this journey without the success that I was going for. I was just close to saying, you guys are right. You right. know, I, forget Iron Man. I shouldn't go back there. And then actually, I, I had kind of decided I wasn't in 1989. I wasn't going to go back. But about two years into or two years, two, two weeks into my training in January, I could just feel this calling like the iron the island was just going you have to come back you have to come back and i'm like yeah. why you know and i i needed to come up with a different why and you know i i realized that my <clears throat> my real my main goal was to try to win and i thought you know what that may never be in the cards 
but there's something else that I want to do. And that's to have a really good race. And I had never had a good race. I could, I could mm -hmm. complete the race without falling apart if I didn't push it. But if I pushed it, I kept falling apart. So I hadn't found that, that, that just fine line where I'm, I'm pushing my limit, but I'm not going so far that I fall apart. And so in 1989, that became my goal or my quest was to get the best race I could out of myself. Dave Scott might win. Somebody else might win. I don't care. I just want to have a really good swim, bike, and run in, 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 the, in Hawaii at the Ironman. And that's not an easy thing to do, of course. But uh, it became, it, it sort of broadened my whole look on it. Like, you know, sport is, sometimes it is about results, but a lot of it has to be about your personal experience and what you're getting out of it. And it, and it really sort of brought me back to when I was a swimmer as a kid, I was never going to do anything that was newsworthy. And so every time I got a couple seconds faster, or a couple tenths faster in any of the swims, that was very personally satisfying. And that was, you know, that made all of that hard work worth it. And it, it was, so it was like a real personal feeling like, wow, I got a little bit better. And so that whole year, 1989, that was what I was looking for. Just those small incremental little improvements in my fitness, in my ability to kind of sustain a focus for a longer period of time and, and to not get um, impatient when it looked like I needed to be further along than I was with my fitness. And of course, in the race, that's that was a big key also to just be patient enough so that, you know, you don't push it too early, you don't blow up. And so going into the event, it was the first time uh, prior to the swim, you know, we're waiting, everybody's in the water and it's, you know, just a minute or two to go. And it's the first time I actually looked around and it's like, wow, look at this. You know, I could, I could feel the warmth of the water and I could see that, that deep blue and you could see the, the sun coming up over the sort of the, the volcanic mountains that are lining, you know, the island right there. And it was just this incredibly beautiful scene that just overwhelmed me and I I realized I had never noticed that before race morning on race morning I was so consumed with how the day was going to go and the result and all that and it just set up a whole different tone to how the day unfolded for me was that the was that the main difference then you may have answered the question and that seventh iron man which uh, with Dave Scott and yourself called the greatest race of all time and it, it is it's epic it is epic what was the difference mark that made the difference for you in that race. You went on to win six more, but was what was it that made the difference in that in that moment? Well, it was it was that mindset of how I started the event. You know, it really, again, the focus wasn't placed on specifically winning. It was placed on trying to get my best performance that I could out of myself, and and then also, I think really appreciating where I was at was something that I had never done when I was racing in Kona. I was always very intimidated by the the physical environment it's it's hot it's humid it can be windy on the bike the energy of the big island is very very intense it doesn't let you hide anything about yourself you know and after about three hours of racing all of your sort of pre-race confidence just evaporates and your 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 face with just the raw reality of how that day is and what it's going to be for you. And you have to deal with yourself. And so anyway, I had always tried to push that stuff away 
And all of a sudden I could feel that I, it was something that I embraced. Like I, I was embracing that intensity. I was embracing the unknown of how the day was going to unfold. My strategy was just stay with Dave. The guy knows how to race this. He, he doesn't blow up. So just stay with him. And so I stayed with him for the whole swim. I stayed with him for the whole bike ride. I stayed with him step for step on the marathon. And, um, you know, it was starting to look like, okay, you know, obviously one of us is going to win this. Who's it going to be? And, and about at the half marathon point, he was actually starting to kind of get his mojo going, you know, and he was, he was starting to surge and to push the pace. And that's kind of like where I was starting to falter a little bit. And, um, you know, and then it's sort of like I kind of lost focus for a while. And I got into that mindset like, eh, I shouldn't have come back. My friends were right. I didn't do the right kind of training. Dave Scott's going to win it. So, I, you know, Dave was starting to kind of show his strength a little, little somewhere around the half marathon point, And he was starting to surge. And, you know, I could feel he, he his confidence was growing and mine was waning. And I was kind of getting tired. And then my mind started just whining, like, mm. you know, with all the stuff that doesn't help you out, you know, Dave, he's so strong. I shouldn't have come back. I didn't do the right kind of training. My legs are killing me. You know, whining does not do anything for you. It does not help bring out your best. And, and finally, it got so hard to even match his pace that um, my mind just kind of went quiet because I had mm. to put all my energy and focus into just going forward and staying with him. And Literally, in the instant that my mind went quiet, I recalled an image that I had seen in a magazine two days before the race. Uh, it was in, in a in a it was a, an advertisement for a workshop that was going to take place in Mexico, teaching about a way of life from the traditional peoples that live there, the Huichol people. And the workshop was going to be led by two medicine men, two shamans. One was. 110-year-old Huichol shaman, Don Jose Matsua, and the other was his adopted grandson, Brant Secunda. And the thing that, as I was sort of just flipping through this magazine, that caught my attention was their photos. And they had this look on their face that was this magic combination of being very peaceful, yet very powerful. And that's that's like the champion's place when you can get that, where you have this sense of calm and steadiness uh, that has nothing to do with trying to pump yourself up. It's just like inherent in you. And you know that no matter what happens in the race, you're going to give the best that you have to give. And I had never been able to kind of like get that sense of peace yet strength or power at the same time in the race in Kona. I had felt it other places, but not there. And as I'm running along and, you know, I'm whining and then my mind goes quiet and all of a sudden Don Jose's image came back to me. Really? He was almost like he was floating right next to me. And I could just feel this like life force coming into me from that thought or image of him. And I really just calmed down and I could feel my shoulders drop and my breathing slowed and my stride open back up. And all, all of a sudden it's like, I really didn't care how it turned out because the most important thing was to just let it flow and give everything I had each step until we got to the finish line. And as you know, it it sort of went to the 11th hour. Dave Scott and I were together all the way through mile 24 and a half. And finally, at the base of the last long uphill before you drop down into the town of Kona and go to the finish line, 
I was able to make a break and pull away. And uh, it was it was the one move that I made in those closing, whatever, 10 or 12 miles. And But it was the right one. And I ended up wow. winning the first of six titles, beating Dave by a mere 58 seconds. Very, very small <laughs> difference that day. Just an incredible race. For those that are uh, my age, uh, you remember it. I remember watching the Wild World of Sports. I remember <laughs> watching you, Mark. And for those who haven't, make sure you check it out on YouTube. And, and Mark, I was just looking at this on YouTube um, just before interview. That moment you crossed the line, I think you're holding the American flag, you're waving that and just, I mean, that I cannot even imagine that feeling. Um, and, and you went on again to win six more. If you look back on all of your races, you mentioned about it's not necessarily about winning, although it's that's nice, right? More than nice, my gosh. But it's about racing your best race. And I'm paraphrasing here. But looking back on your race career, is there an Ironman or a race where you say, yeah, more than just winning, that was the best that I could do. It was this race. Is there one that stands out? Yeah, there is. And just I just remembered if if any of you listening are interested in reading kind of like a, a real detailed account of that 1989 um, race, actually the whole year leading up to it. Dave Scott and I um, wrote a 10-part series about how we prepared and what was going on throughout that year and the challenges that each of us had. At, you can go to 1989thestory.com yeah. and check that out. But um, if I was asked you know, what was my greatest Ironman? It had, definitely had, would be my final one in 1995. Part of it was that I was, I was asking a lot of myself, you know, I, I had won five Ironmans and five starts, and this was going to be number six, hopefully, but I was 37 years old, which at the time, nobody had won the race as a 37 year old. So I was asking myself to be the oldest ever. Nobody had won six Ironmans and six starts. Dave won six in his career, but he had one where he faltered in there. And um, when I when I ended up coming off the bike, uh, I was 13 and a half minutes behind the leader, a 24 year old German triathlete named Thomas Hellriegel. And at that point, nobody had closed a 13 and a half minute gap to be the champion. So starting the marathon, I had three levels of uh, asking to do something that nobody had done before. And it's like, you know, 1995, you couldn't Google, how do I win the Ironman <laughs> as a 37 year old with a 13 and a half minute deficit? You know, it's like, yeah. it seemed totally impossible. And, um, you know, cause I had to make up 30 seconds a mile, every single mile of the marathon, if I was going to catch him at the finish line. My gosh. And, um, you know, that sounded completely impossible. And so, you know, when, when faced with impossibility, it's, it's, it's like I always try to break it down to what is possible. You know, what what can I do that is it, it, I can wrap my brain around. And the, the one thing that I was able to sort of wrap my brain around was I just told myself, try to make up an inch or a second every step of this marathon and just see what happens. That I could kind of conceive of, you know. And so I started out and usually I sort of try to ease into the marathon that year. There was no easing into it. I had to get right on pace. And, um, you know, I was, I was in fifth place and then I moved into fourth and then I moved into third and eventually I moved into second place. And with eight miles to go, I was told that I was four minutes behind him. And so let me do the math for you. Eight miles with four minute gap. 
I was making up time, but I was still uh, only on pace to catch him at the finish line. And that certainly is not where you want to catch a guy who's 13 years younger than you when you're sprinting for a world championship. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I had, I, in, in these, in the years leading up to this after 1989, I started studying that, that beautiful tradition with Brant Secunda. And, um, a lot of what he helped me to do was to learn how to quiet my mind through the practices that the Weichel Indians, um, what, you know, the Weichel people do on a daily basis. They say, when your mind's quiet, then you can hear the answers to the big questions in life. Then you have peace. You, you know, peace does not exist in a thought. Peace exists in silence. And he also really um, helped me help me to foster a positive relationship with anywhere in nature, but especially the island of Hawaii. It, like I said, it's a very powerful place. And it's like I knew that I had to go there each year feeling like, I was coming home as opposed to I was going into a battlefield that's oh, was be intense, you know? And so nice. yeah. um, that really, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I got that time split and I was told that I was four minutes behind hell regal, I remembered a lot of those things that Brandon said. And he said, you know, the Weechel people say it's never over until it's over. Meaning no matter how impossible something looks, take that next step, keep going because in the next moment, things can turn around for you. You just never know. And so that really gave me confidence to just keep going. You know, I needed more time, but I wasn't making it up, but I needed more time. And then he also said, if you need help, call out to the big island. It will help you. It's alive and it will help you. And so uh, I literally said, hey, big island, help me here. I need something extra. I'm going to give everything I have, even if I can, if even if I blow up, come in a, a second behind Hell Regal, I don't care. I'm going to give everything I have. You know, and I stopped focusing on on Thomas and I just put all my energy back here. And I said, but I need your help. Mm. And literally the next mile, I made up about 40 seconds. And then the one after that, a little over 50. And the one after that, I made up a minute and 15 on the guy who'd been leading now for almost six hours. And then finally, at mile 23, I came up behind him and made what would become the final pass of my Ironman career. Went on to win that race. And, and so you might ask, well, why was that when um, your, your greatest performance ever? And the answer is simple. It was the hardest one to win. And, you know, I had, I had gone to the race hoping to have one last great race. But in my mind, great race meant that it would be real easy. And I realized in retrospect that had the race been easy, it would not have been my greatest race. It had to be hard for it to become a great race. Mm. It had to be nearly impossible. It had to look impossible for me at mo so many moments um, to pull out the best that I had. Had it been easier, I wouldn't have gone to the places I went to within, within myself and pulled those, those strengths out. I would not have connected with the island in the way that I did, that I would had to, to pull that off. And, you know, there were, there were many, many moments where literally I thought I was going to quit. Really, and, you know, I always tell people the greatest victories can never be seen. And those are the those are the victories we have over that sort of lesser part of ourselves that could easily just give up or throw in the towel or come up with a reason why it's not worth continuing and, and pushing like that. But, I, you know, for all thousand of those times when I felt like quitting, I found a thousand and one reasons to keep going, thankfully. And so well, that that for me is why that was 
by far the greatest race of my Ironman career. Love that story. Love that story and the way you told it as well. Okay, Mark. So you you mentioned uh, Brant Secunda a couple times, and I have I have your book that was inspired uh, by Brant, uh, The Art of Competition. What a book this is! And in here you have quote after quote after quote, and one of the quotes you just mentioned: "The greatest victories can't be seen." Tell me about these quotes. Yeah, that's actually a great story. I was. Um, I was in, at a retreat with Brant in Japan. It was a two-week intensive. We went to a lot of amazing places, and we were at um, we were at Mount Fuji. The next day, we were we were staying near Mount Fuji, and we were going to go on pilgrimage uh, up the mountain. The following day, we were staying in a very traditional, um, small, family-run hotel with just a few rooms, and uh, you know, with the tatami mats and um, uh, what, that one afternoon, the day, that afternoon, the day before we were going to go on pilgrimage, I laid down to take a nap. And right as I was going to sleep, this quote came to me. Um, pain is the song of the working body. Intense, intense pain is its symphony. Enjoy the music. Love that quote. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know? And it sort of, it sort of was like, that's taking sport to kind of like a, a, diff, a different tangent or different level thinking of things like that. And so I, I started to go back to sleep and another quote came and then another one and another one. I'm like, I'd better write these down because these <laughs> are kind of cool. And I know that I'll forget them. And so this, this went on for like a couple of days while we're, you know, during the remainder of the workshop. And by the time I left, I had um, assembled pretty close to, to 90 quotes uh, that had to do with, you know, overcoming personal challenge and being your best and dealing with fear and, you know, self-doubt and, and all the stuff that's real when it comes to competition. But I didn't know what I was going to do with them. Uh, and I thought maybe I'll post one a week on my social media. I didn't know. And anyway, I had these quotes for almost five years. Mm. And then finally, I was at a retreat with Brant in, uh, up in the Alps in Italy. And all of a sudden, we're up on this high plateau that looked like the sound of music, you know, with those little flowers everywhere and the Alps in the background with the glaciers. Yeah. And um, and I'm like, I know what I need to do. I need to take each of those quotes and pair them with a photo from nature and make it a, a coffee table book that, you know, is like big format, old school, printed on paper. You flip through <laughs> it. You actually read it and hold it. And uh, yeah, there you go. There it is. I and so um, I ended up connecting with a, a local photographer here, um, Nick Borelli in Santa Cruz, who has incredible photos from nature. And so we worked, we collaborated on it. And uh, each quote has its own two page spread. And then there's also chapters in there um, about fear and overcoming challenge. They're actually word chapters. And then also the final chapter is telling it's how my story of turning sport into art. And that final chapter is um, sort of a retelling of the 1989 sto story and the 1995 story. And so literally about a month went by where I'd sit down to, at my computer to write the final chapter and not one word would come. And I'm like, without this chapter, there is no book. Finally, I just said, I sort of let it go and I said, forget it. And um, next day I went out and I was surfing and I was just sitting out in the water. And, you know, a lot of times when you're surfing, you're just daydreaming because you're waiting for the waves and you're kind of just like, you know, 
your mind can daydream. And all of a sudden out there in the water, it's like, <gasps> I know how I'm going to tell those two stories. And I got a wave and I paddled in and literally I just sat down and the whole final chapter just came out. Ah, and so it's so good. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story of how that book came about. It's actually sold out at the moment, um, and it's available as an, as, a, as an e-book, which is spectacular looking at it on a, a, you know, either on an iPad or, or on a laptop, because the photos are just amazing. Okay, Mark, I've got the book right here. I'm looking at all these incredible quotes. I've picked out just a few to hear the story behind them. Here we go. Silence is the most potent response to challenge and will take you past it every time. What do you mean? Often when we're faced with challenge, we're trying to figure out what the solution is. And it, it sort of sets up almost like panic, you know? And, and when you're panicked, you're not, you're not creative. You're not thinking outside the box. And so if you can just get your mind to be quiet, often that's when the answer comes. Just like I was telling you, I didn't know how to write that chapter until I went out surfing. And my mind was quiet. And then all of a sudden, you know, the science has shown that the that creative problem solving part of your brain is working at peak capacity when you are daydreaming. It's not when you're trying to be analytical and come up with so solutions. True. You know, Albert Einstein, one of his favorite quotes that, I, that I've heard from him is that some of his greatest insights came to him when he was riding a bicycle. Quiet, silence, daydreaming. Sure. Right. Next quote, apparent ease is the weapon of a champion. I got to hear this. Yeah. You know, and if you look at the videos of me racing, <clears throat> like in that last race, 1995, um, Phil Liggett, one of his lines, he said, Mark Allen's running like a robot in perfect control of his functions, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I was struggling so hard. But on the outside, it looked like I was just clicking it off and easy and in control. And so Often, you know, if you just, you can kind of trick yourself into getting more out of yourself than you think you can. If you just don't embody the struggle, you know, like if you have the look and feel of something of struggle, it's going to make it that much harder to have ease. But if you can at least sort of keep your body at ease, even if it's something like you're sitting at your computer, you know, you're uptight or you're relaxed, you know. Yeah. That can really just bring about amazing and profound changes and performances. Well, there's a lot of quotes. I'm not going to go through all of them. Last one, though, Mark, my favorite one in your book, when all else fails, open a can of whoop ass and take a big, long sip. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> that sometimes it's like there is no pretty. There is no nice answer. Sometimes you just got to suck it up and dig, dig deep, dig your heels in, just pull the rabbit out of the hat, you know, and um, I, that's, I think people oftentimes are, they're looking for a nice tidy package with a bow on how to, how to manage everything in life and how to manage struggle and, and to set back and how to, uh, how to achieve greatness in their own performance in life. And sometimes it's just like doing the really dirty hard work, like just open that can of whoop ass, take a big long sip and get back to work. You know, there's, there's going to be a rough edge or two, and you might get a few scrapes, but that's okay. Great advice. Great advice. Hey, Mark, uh, what projects are you working on right now that's bringing you a great deal of passion and purpose? What, what are you up to right now? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, one of them, I've moved my coaching to a platform, my 
triathlon coaching to a platform called tridot.com. And uh, it's an amazing platform, uh, super good um, backend um, as far as being able to utilize uh, and, and analyze a lot of the sort of numbers things that a lot of athletes are looking at nowadays. So check that out if you're interested in coaching, tridot.com. I'm going to have a Mark Allen edition that's launching this fall, and you can sign up for that anytime nice. now. And uh, then, of course, um, and, and that, that came about through Scott Zagarino, who's uh, my business partner in Mark. He, he's the CEO of MarkAllenSports.com. Mark Allen Sports is sort of my global thing, you know, which in, embodies corporate speaking, clinics, um, health things. And, um, you know, everything that I'm doing right now is it feels like I've, you know, through a lot of the efforts that, that Scott has helped me to revitalize my career and legacy and, and awareness out there in the, in the world. That's taken a lot of social media work. And I've sort of shied away from that for a while because, you know, I'm 60, almost 65. And it's like, I didn't grow up with Instagram. I didn't grow <laughs> up with with Snapchat or, or TikTok, you know, but now I've kind of like, all right, let's do it, you know? And so that's, that's sort of, that's sort of like having to open a can of whoop ass, you know, it's like, maybe, maybe you're going to have to do stuff that at least initially, especially it's not your natural thing. It's not your natural way, but if you embrace it, you never know where it's going to take you. And so, yeah. um, just like, um, you know, embracing the big island and how intense it was. That was, that was a shift for me to be able to do that. Yeah. If you're looking for merchandise opportunities, I want that quote on a t-shirt, uh, the whip ass quote. Okay. I'm, bu <laughs> I'm buying a dozen. All right. Okay. <laughs> hey, Mark, uh, what you just brought it up, social media. Uh, how should we best follow you and stay in touch with all the cool things that you're doing? Uh, Instagram, Mark Allen grip, uh, Facebook, Mark Allen coaching, and uh, you can always email me if you have questions, mark at markallensports.com. Um, so those are, those are some of the things we have going. And uh, Brant Secunda and I also teach a workshop called Fit Soul, Fit Body. We have a book, Fit Soul, Fit Body, Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You. You can check out that schedule of things uh, also on shamanism.com. And uh, so lots of, lots of fun stuff. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the Ironman this year. It's coming up in October there will be uh, two days of racing instead of one women and some of the men age group men's age groups on Thursday. And then the remainder of the men's age groups and the pro men on Saturday. Super cool. What advice would you have for someone who may be thinking about going after something big and daunting and a bit out of their comfort zone, Mark Allen, what do you think? I, Hey, if you're, if you're tr thinking about going for something big and hairy and scary and outside your comfort zone, go for it, but expect challenge, expect setback and expect that maybe achieving that dream or that goal may not come in the timeline that you have set out for yourself. You know, life has its own sort of plan and timeline. So like for me, you know, I, I wish I could have won Ironman second time out, third time, fourth, fifth, sixth. But in retrospect, I can see that all of those years with setback were, were sort of like the, those were the boot camp that taught me skills that I then was able to bring into each one of those Ironman wins. And had I not had those sort of boot camp setback races, I would not have had enough skill uh, and, and knowledge and experience to actually be able to win those six that I did. So you just never know how it's gonna turn out. And then second thing is um, if you have a big goal, you know, just 
chip away at it a little by little by little by little. You know, a little little by little adds up to a lot. And so it's not about it's not about one day all of a sudden you go from nothing to you know superhero. That's a transformation that takes place over time, over a long period of time often. And so just have that patience, you know, build, build whatever foundation you need so that each, each day you're learning something that's getting you one step closer to that goal. Even, even in the setbacks, setbacks are, are ripe, um, a ripe canvas or arena or moment where you can learn something that then can propel you even further forward. Mark, that advice coming from you is worth gold. Uh, and I want to thank you for being part of the podcast. Uh, you have influenced so many people in the area of sport and life. I'm one of them. And uh, thank you for being part of this podcast. Really appreciate it. It's been great having you on. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate it. Good luck, everybody. Okay, that's the interview with Mark Allen. What a unique chance we just had to learn from this champion, six-time Ironman world champion, Mark Allen. Uh, make sure you follow him on Instagram, at Mark Allen Grip. I'm asking the question, what were some of your biggest takeaways? Take a screenshot from your smartphone right now, and then put it on Instagram and tag at Mark Allen Grip. Let him know what your biggest takeaway was. Also tag at I Dare You Pod and Darren Johnson 1. We would love to know what did you get from this conversation. Everyone will have something different, but I love seeing those. Now that you've listened to Mark Allen in this episode, Share with others. Who would benefit from this type of conversation about mindset? (laughs) Maybe the better question is, who wouldn't benefit from it? Thank you again for listening, everyone. Please leave a review on this episode and get ready for episode 35. It's going to be another good one. I sure appreciate you being here. Uh, We will finish it up, and we will see you right back here on the I Dare You podcast next week. See you then.